Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're uh, enjoying, you enjoyed part one of Tom's story, him getting into, you know, his childhood is kind of a rough upbringing, uh, and then getting into some of his using days. Part two is just as good, if not better than part one. So make sure you stay in tune and listen to this one. And uh, we'll leave it off to Tom here. Sorry. When I when people look at those images, they're like, oh my God, like that's that's what a drug addict looks like. But I was a drug addict for years before then, you know, and, and no one ever had an idea. No one had the even slightest inclination that I was a drug addict. But I was, you know, and I was very fortunate. Like I worked incredibly hard. Um I had a massive argument with my mum. So you know when we talk about like what are some of the changing points for you and, and that sort of eureka moment. And I remember I had a massive argument with my mum and I was in, I was in a really bad place anyway. And I went downstairs and at this point, like I could hardly walk. Um, ketamine destroys your body, like your bladder, your bowels. Um, I was very physically, um, well, spiritually, emotionally, <laughs> mentally um, broken, but I went downstairs to have an argument with my mum. And I actually went down to blame her for everything. And I was like, it's your fault, it's dad's fault, it's your choice and men's fault. And there is an element of that that's true because it truly shaped a lot of decisions that I made in life. But ultimately, it was my choice. And I understand that. And I've always understood that, despite still not being ready for, for a very, very long time to do anything about it. And um, I, I screamed at my mum and I was like, it's all your fucking fault. And my mum turned around, I was crying, my mum was crying, and she went, and I'm going to say a word that a lot of people don't like, but um, my mum said, I never raised you to be a druggie. And I, like, I just stopped, shout, I just, like, it, even now, and I, like, it just hit me, and I was like, fuck. And I, I and normally I, I, I always have, like, the last word, or I've always got something to come back with. And I just stood there and I cried. Um, and I went upstairs and I thought, fuck, I was like, fuck her. It's all her fault. And then I was like, but my mum has always tried. You know, she's always tried. Um, despite everything, you know, my mum's always been there. Um, and I think that's what makes our relationship so difficult at times. Because no matter what or no matter how bad it was, she always tried. And yeah, she, you know, she made a lot of bad decisions, but fucking so did I, you know? Um, yeah. And when she said that, I just thought, no, I need to do, I need to do something about this. Um, and I made myself a promise, which consisted of two things. Um, so this was sort of around June, July, uh, 2018. And, and I, I promised myself these two things. I promised myself that I would do absolutely anything and everything to get clear, I didn't care if I had to fucking move to Mars, right, and <laughs> and live with aliens. I did not care what I had to do. I, anything that anybody could advise me to do and support and help, I would do it. And then the second part of that was if I didn't sort my life out by Christmas, then I'd have killed myself. And I, I'd had several suicide attempts, um, you know, using drugs like I was. That was seriously a, an attempt to kill myself. I used to crash my car all the time purposely to try and die, which sounds incredibly selfish um and i think when you when you're in that frame of mind everything you do is selfish um, addiction is a very lonely and selfish place um and i promised myself that if i didn't sort my life out by christmas um then i would i would go away and i would hang myself in the woods and, and i meant that you know and i say that today and, and i meant it and i think for me that was <laughs> as stupid as that sounds I think I needed something very serious like that and then I, I promised myself right look you've got two options you sort this shit out and you do everything and anything and you don't stop or you think fuck it right I've had enough of this and you can you take your life and now I've had even in the last week you know I, I hear constantly on social media I see posts of like my friends taking their lives or dying from drugs and to me Addiction and suicide is the exact same thing. I, I don't think they're separate. And I get quite annoyed when people talk about mental health and, and relate suicide to being men, like mentally unwell or mentally sick, but completely like ignore the fact that they've got a huge underlying drug problem. You know, they all talk about, and I think it's much easier. Like I've been to friends' funerals that mom, that the parents, 
even though they've committed, sorry, you shouldn't say commit suicide, but even though they've taken their own lives through addiction, their parents still say, oh, no, they were, you know, they had mental health issues. And I think they do that because it's a lot easier to accept that they had mental health issues than they were a drug addict because of the stigma and the perception of what people have as, you know, that junkies and druggies are all these little horrible, nasty people. You know, I, I worked with loads of horrible, nasty people that weren't drug addicts. You know, I met some people that probably have never touched a drug in their life and they're complete narcissistic assholes. You know, you don't have to be a drug addict to be a dick. <laughs> I know plenty now, do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, it's a shame that people fail to recognise addiction. Um, and it's so hard to admit it to yourself, but it's, it's even more difficult when the people around you that love and care for you can't recognize it. And I think a lot of that is because of shame and guilt. And, and the fact that I think that they don't want to accept that that's what's going on in their lives. But, you know, thankfully for me, I, I managed to turn my life around. You know, I, I ended up getting help. I, that day I literally went upstairs and, and I contacted um, a local support service. And I went and met him, a really nice guy, Weirdly enough, he was Scottish, um, which is sort of where the whole journey started of recovery. And at this point, I was probably only about seven or eight stone, which is seriously underweight still, but I wasn't like six stone. And um, I went into the little meeting room and I said, look, like, I need help. And I said, and this is exactly like, this is, this is what it is. I said, look, I've got a lot of issues that I've never spoken about. I don't know how to address them. I ain't got a fucking clue what to do. And I've got this promise, right? I either sort this out or I will kill myself by Christmas. And I looked at it straight in the eyes and went, that's not a threat. That's not a joke. That's not like, you know, any pressure on you, but that's that's what's going to happen. So I either sort this out or I don't. And hopefully, you know, you can help support me. And I said to him, I promise. I said, look, anything, anything that you tell me to do, I'll do it. I don't care what it is, you know, <laughs> within reason, obviously. But I was like, anything, you know, I'll do it. Um, and he was like, I've never met someone that's that's told me like what the, like because even at the like in the past when I've gone to treatment and I've tried things, I always lied. You know, I was like, oh, I only do like a couple of gram a week. <laughs> it's like I snorted like five gram on the way here. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I just lied constantly. And um, I think for the first time I was honest and I said, look, this is exactly what I do. And you know, you get the diary that they give you and you have to fill out the little journals and it's like you know all of that stuff and you know and it served a purpose and it helped. Um, and I, and I remember I went to these sessions, like these, so it was like a day program and I went there for about two or three months. And I remember I got asked to stay behind for one of them. And they said like next week, um, you're going to meet the board. And I was like, Oh, well, I know what a board is. I worked sort of in a very corporate industry. I, and I was like, what do you mean a board? Like, what, why have you got like a board? And they were, well, basically, it's a panel of judges that sort of assess you and talk to you and ask you a lot of questions. It's like an interview about potential funding. And like, I shit you not, like, it's like X Factor. It's like, I'm <laughs> not like, 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 if I could sing, I'd have sang. Like, uh, you know, if I, if I could have stood up and danced, I would have tried. Um, but like, I was sat there with him and I was shaking. I was so nervous. And there was like these, these three guys. Um, and they just spoke to me and I was like, I was completely honest. Um, and I, you know, I, I sort of told them, I answered every question they had. I said, look, I'm, 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 I'm dead serious. I'm like, I need this. Um, you know, I, I've been doing everything that you've advised. Don't get me wrong. I, I never stopped using drugs at this point. I was still a raging drug addict. Um, but I was trying, it was slow progress. If sometimes it felt like no progress, but ultimately, I was trying to get the funding to get into rehab and they said, right. Okay. Like, thank you very much. And, and that was that. And I remember going outside with my key key worker and um, my care manager, whatever it was called and really nice guy. He was like ex military. And I said, like, how did, how did I do? And he was like, well, I think you did really well, but you know, I can't say, and we don't know till, till whenever, like we, we don't know if that's in or not, like you have to wait. So then I got a, a phone call later in the week and said, look, they'd like to meet you again, same time, same place next week. So I was like, oh shit, like they've made the decision really quickly. It's, it's a no. And, and I'd already told myself, I had a very defeatist attitude at that time as well. And I'd already told myself, that it's, it, it's fucked. It's not working. I, I'm going to end up dying, um, but I'll still continue with it. 
So I went in the week after and um, I went in and um, they were all smiling. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, oh, is this like, are they tricking me? Am I in or am I out? And I just couldn't relax. And this is us. So we've obviously called you today, uh, Thomas, and we've got some really good news to tell you. Um, everything's all right. And I was like, it's not all right. I was like, look at me, I'm fucked. <laughs> like, I'm dying. Like, it's not all right. And they went, no, but it's going to be all right. And I still didn't click what they meant. Basically, what they were saying was, yeah, you've got the funding. You know, we're going to give you, oh, God knows what it was, 20, 30,000, like, like 20, 30,000 pounds to go away and, and get better. And um, I said, I'm sorry, I don't get, will you, I was like, will you just fucking tell me? Like, I can't, like, and they just went, you're in. And I, honest to God, I, I remember I just fell to the floor. Um, and I cried my eyes out. And I just couldn't stop crying. Like I'm quite a sensitive and emotional soul anyway. Um, and I just, I just cried. Um, and they all came over and hugged me. Um, and, and then like, this is how naive and stupid I was. I, like, I went, so like, do you need my bank details? And they were like, bank details for what? And I was like, well, do you not send me this money? And like, do you think we're going to send a drug addict 30,000 <laughs> pounds? I was like, I've got no idea. I don't know how this works. And they went, no, what will happen is, we'll give you a list of, of rehabs and services to go to. And then the tough decision for you is to go and choose. And I said, look, there's no, you tell me where to go and I'll do it. Like, I'm, I'm not, I, I want this to be as left as less difficult for you, as, as least difficult as possible. I was like, just tell me where to go, tell me what to do. And I had a choice of um, using a service and they had, like, they had a few centers across the UK. And um, I said to him, I was going to go to the one in Liverpool, but unfortunately I had a lot of bladder problems and there was shared accommodation. And for me, that was just like, oh no, like I feel awkward and anxious and uncomfortable enough as it is. Like I used to sort of like urinate like blood and the lining of my bladder. Like I used to pee like these chunks of gel out, which I know is disgusting. I'm sorry if you're going to have lunch soon as well. Um, but it was disgusting. Um, and I didn't want to share a room, um, not because of a pretentious thing or like, I was like, I'm better than sharing a room. I want my own room. It was like, I'm going to feel really uncomfortable about that. So I asked if there was other rehabs and they just built this, well, they, they renovated this old sort of um, old people's home. And um, it was in Scotland, in Glasgow. And um, the Scottish guy went, oh, no. And I was like, what do you mean, no? And he went, that's really rough. That's what it is. <laughs> Whether he should say that or not, I'm not sure. But he was being honest. And now I understand exactly what he was talking about. But um, I says, what do you mean? He goes, well, even my drug worker didn't think I was that bad of a drug addict because I was only taking ketamine. I never did crack or smack or, you know, hard drugs. And he went, well, it's full of people that predominantly will use like crack and heroin and, you know, and it's, it's probably mixing with circles that you're not probably used to. And I was like, so is it, is it going to be hard like that? And he went, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the, the hardest and roughest rehabs that I could recommend. And I went, right, well, that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, I'm telling you not to go there. And I was like, I've always had a thing of doing the opposite of what people tell me to do, um, but for good reasons. And um, I said, no, that's where I want to go. And he says, well, what about these other places? I went, look, I don't even want to see them. That's where I want to go. I says, you tell me what I need to do. Uh, so he said, phone him up and arrange like an, inter like a, like um or what was it called? An assessment. So I did that and then I got into rehab and, you know, that's where I took that picture the day I went to rehab, which is, which has now been viewed by like tens of millions of people around the world. Um, and off I went to rehab and, you know, rehab was, was by far the hardest and the guy was right. It was, it was rough. It was, you know, I'd never, I never saw heroin like we all assume that rehab is a safe and loving caring place and it can be and, and for some of it it is um but like i never saw heroin until i went to rehab you know like just, just think about what i just said like that's scary you know like, i never saw smack or heroin whatever you want to call it until i went to rehab which is where people try to stay off and get off drugs um you know i never knew about certain drugs and certain lifestyles that people had uh, or that could live. And I used to think for a few weeks, and, you know, again, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but it's all a learning process. And I used to think that I was better. 
because I was like, oh, I've never injected drugs. I've never done smack. I've never stabbed anybody or I've never done this. And then I really realized like, because I got challenged a lot. That was the environment that it was. Um, and it really changed my perception because I realized that I wasn't any better or any worse. I was exactly the same. Like we were all addicts. Doesn't matter what the poison is. <laughs> you know, we were all, um, we were all addicts. And I think that the quicker, and as soon as I realized that, I felt like it was a lot easier. Um, but then on the same reflection, you know, there was, there was a lot of sort of hierarchy of uh, of addicts, you know, like the junkies hated the the drunks and the drunks hated the junkies, and it was like I was sort of torn in between where the people that were on like heroin and crack didn't really think that I was a drug addict, and then the alcoholics used to look at me and go, "Okay, isn't you really a drug? You know, it's a, it's a class C substance or a, a B now." Um, and I, I found it hard to to kind of learn that it doesn't matter what the substance is, whether it's pornography, shopping, chocolate you know, gambling, uh, cooking, ketamine, crack, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're doing something to the point of it's ruining your life and killing you, then who cares what it is? You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, rehab was hard. Um, so hard, but also incredibly rewarding. And, you know, there's no sort of magic wand that you just wave at someone. And, you know, I'd love it if you could just go into rehab and someone waves a wand and boom, you're cured. And, you know, you never do drugs or drink again. That would be amazing and well worth 40 grand. Um, but that's not what happens. You know, it, it isn't. Um, and I used to learn from, like, there was a lot of people in there that would smuggle drugs in. There's people that would come from prison into rehab and then be like, oh, fuck this, this is too hard. And then actually ask to go back to prison, which I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, that's mental. Um but people found it harder than <coughs> um, And it was just, I'd always try and learn. And I, I remember that's like, rehab taught me to be resilient, you know, because I didn't necessarily believe in, it wasn't a 12 step rehab, it was a therapeutic community. Um, but there was a lot of people that did the 12 steps. And I think, you know, there's certain elements, um, certain principles that are amazing. And I think can really be, um, you can, be a massive positive force in someone's recovery um but i just used to try and learn from other people's mistakes before i made those same mistakes um, and i was in a mixed rehab with boys and girls and, and that caused a whole load of trouble um, as i'm sure you'd imagine but i kind of learned about you know i spoke i had like cognitive behavioral therapy i had counseling i had occupational therapy i had you know, peer groups, support groups, family groups. Um, I had all of this 24 hours, seven days a week support. And I stayed in rehab for six and a half months. Um, and then I went to reentry, which is like their sort of resettlement program where you sort of try and integrate back into the real world, into a community. Um, and I think that was like sort of make it or break it for a lot of people. I think if there's quite a, I mean, I hate saying this, but like it's easy to get clean and sober in rehab. And I know that sounds like everyone's like, oh, God, you can't say that. Well, it is. Like, if you're effectively locked up <laughs> in a building that you can't escape from and you've got, like, 30 other residents plus 15 members of staff and doctors and nurses and psycho psychologists, you know, psychiatric help, all of this support, I mean, it's, it's not hard. Um, <coughs> what is hard is talking about those underlying issues, talking about the abuse, you know, the traumatic childhood, the adverse childhood experiences, and there was things that I spoke about in rehab that I never told a soul, ever, ever. And I, I probably cried for most of my time in rehab, but but good, you know, I needed to. Um, you know, some people would take the piss and stuff, but, you know, some of those people now are dead. And that's tragic because they weren't prepared or they couldn't find that strength or courage to actually resolve or speak about those issues. And that's, that's, that's horrible. Um, you know, and then... You know, then I got asked to sort of write an article whilst I was in care um, and I did it and I shared that, the, the picture, the, the sort of drug addict Tom and then like a, a selfie on a bus, healthy Tom. And uh, even then I was still quite skinny, but I wasn't like six stone. And um, I remember the rehab shared it and it, and it went viral. Um, and then like, it's really surreal. So like off the back of that, um, 
like I, I had, a, I was just inundated with like podcast interviews or like being on telly. Like um, I've been on the BBC, I've been on ITV, I've been on Channel Four News, I've been on um, the Epoch Times, which is one of like I, th- I think the headquarters are based in New York, and it's like one of the biggest media outlets in the world. I've been in all like sort of national newspapers i've had weirdly enough um who you probably might know i won't mention i'll tell you off camera uh, but there was a, a guy in america who's quite famous for being in recovery and like he stole my story once and shared it and lied and changed my story um and made me very religious and he actually changed the funniest thing was he changed how i spoke to how he speaks which is like an american accent so it was like hey y'all I'm Tom. And I'm like, that's not how I speak. And he was like, I'm an addicted alcoholic. And like, he changed my story and I was fuming. Uh, I didn't know because until someone else tagged me, it was like, was that, is that you? And I was like, I don't speak that. And I was like, that's not my story. Um, you know, and then probably the, the thing that really set everything up from then, then on in, I mean, obviously like I've never touched drugs or alcohol ever since, but um, I got approached by a, a media company called Lad Bible which I, I'm sure you might be familiar with like the worldwide. I watched that interview, actually. It was really good. Yeah, so they, yeah. they invited me uh, to Manchester. And it was really surreal, actually, because I was still in re-entry at this point. And I mentioned it to the staff because I needed permission to go. And I was like, look, can I go there? Um, I'm literally going to go there um, and I'll, I'll stay the night. I've got a hotel and I'll come back the next day. So... I had to ask for permission. I had to get it all signed off. And they were like, yeah, but you need to call us at night and check it yeah. out. Yeah, fine. So I went down, did the pod, uh, did the interview, which was also turned into a podcast. And then um, we finished early, so we didn't need to stay. So I had the choice to stay or I could come back and use my overnight. Um, so I, I ended up coming back to Glasgow. And um, when I, we used to have these groups in re-entry, it was like, um, oh, you know, like kind of in like the fellowship, we all sort of like sit around in a circle. It was it was like that, but we would all challenge each other. So we'd be like, I caught you drinking, or you know, that that happened quite a lot, but like you would challenge them on their behaviors or what they were doing, or you know, you stayed in fucking bed all week. You were meant to be going to, you know, you were meant to be doing what your program was this week and you've just tossed it off. Um, so it was challenging. And I and I remember like it was always very negative. And I always used to be quite positive, even like now I'm positive and negative, but like I'd be like, oh, you know, things are going well. You know, I've, I've started doing this. So I've started doing that. And I never mentioned the lab Bible thing and my key work and you. And she went, have you not got anything else to tell us? And I was like, oh, no, 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 it's all right. And she went, no, go on, tell us. So I was like, all right, well, uh, so like yesterday I had a conference call with like the executives from Lab Bible and, and they want to film me and make a documentary. And it was part of a five-part series. So like there was me and the other guy, um, and then there was like Tyson Fury, as in like the world heavyweight boxer, David Attenborough, who was like a god. Um, I think he's called Nick Hamilton, who was Lewis Hamilton's brother. And then they had two army veterans, like two people that had fought, like one person that had fought in the Second World War, one person that had fought in like, I think it was Iraq. Um, and I was like part of like the lineup. And I thought, but that's really crazy. And I remember I shared it with the group and um, I got slaughtered. <laughs> I got torn apart. They were like, oh, this is all about you, like your fucking ego. This is arrogance. You know, you know nothing about recovery. You're not, who are you to, like, if you want to talk about it, go to like an AA meeting or an NA meeting or some sort of fellowship meeting. Like, you don't tell like the, the real world about addiction because you've got no right to talk about addiction. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. Like, generally speaking, the people that have the stigma, people that aren't addicts so like how else are we going to break that stigma unless we talk about it in like that public realm and i was like i'm not arrogant or i'm not it's not ego like don't get me wrong there's a little bit of arrogance in it because like i mean come on like if someone said to you right you're gonna go on camera and you know millions of people are gonna watch it you'd be like oh fuck yeah <laughs> i'll get loads of likes and you know loads of free shit and you know and there was an element of that i'm not gonna lie and go i purely did it for all good intentions but majority, I did. I did it because I wanted to challenge the status quo and I wanted to challenge people's perceptions and opinions around about addiction. And what better way to do it than well, going on Lab Bible or telly? Um, and I got slaughtered for, for saying that. Um, 
and, and I went and did it anyway. And then, you know, f- off the back of that, I remember watching it when it got released and I was, oh shit. The only thing I could think of was like, I, pre- I hope I look all right. Like, <laughs> I was like, I, I don't want to look fat. I don't want to look like horrible. I don't want to look, I was bothered about all the vanity aspects. But then I, I knew what we did that day, me and the other guy, I knew what we spoke about was real. You know, none of that was made up. Everything we spoke about was real. Um, and we'd never met each other until on camera. Um, it was quite a surreal, but an amazing, an amazing experience. And sort of off the back of, like, off the back of that, like, I mean, that got viewed, I think it was viewed like two, three million times on each platform. And it's gone on like five or six platforms. So like what, 12, 13, 14 million views. But like, I, I stopped counting. I did count. Right? I'm not going to lie. For like six months, I was like, oh, I've, I've reached a million. I've reached 1.2 million. I've reached... And then, like, everyone was like, oh, fuck off. Like, we don't care. Um, and I was like, I did, off the, like, off the back of that, I got so many, and I mean, like, thousands of people messaged me, um, reaching out for help. Like I mentioned earlier, the guy that, that helped, um, you know, hold me hostage and rob me, um, he actually saw that and messaged me off the back of that and said, I've watched a documentary, you know, it was really raw and it really touched something inside. And he's like, I need help. He says, look, I'm really sorry to ask you, especially after everything else, but um, I'm really asking, like, can you talk to me? And and I thought, you know, I had two options. I could tell him to fuck off (laughs) or I could actually be the bigger man and be like, well, I know what that's like in addiction. I don't care who you are. Addiction's horrible. Um, So I ended up speaking to him, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't, it's up to him whether or not he wants to stop using drugs and drinking or whatever. Uh, I don't think I can. I, I think some people, when they're in recovery, have this sort of like messiah complex where they think, like the God, quite like I could fix everything. Like you know, bring bring all the drug addicts and I'll like line them up and I'll, I'll touch them on the foreheads and <laughs> they're all cured. And that's not how it works. It didn't ever work for me like that, and it will never work for anybody like that. Um, but I think people just want to be listening you know they just want someone to listen to and talk to and, and actually be like well my life was fucked but I sorted it out and this is how I did it and it's up to them whether they want to take that experience and learn from it or not um you know and then you know I've, I've gone on to do loads of stuff like I've spoken in parliament I've I met the queen which is not something I'm Irish so like my family kind of don't like that um but like it was a weird experience and it wasn't she didn't come to meet me <laughs> it wasn't about recovery um, I was just working at a youth club and she came to to visit the project that they were working on um you know and, and I've done I've done loads of stuff in recovery um I've also been as much as it's great you know like I hate saying this but it's like sometimes it's pretty cool to get like that attention and you think, oh my god, like I'm famous, and but then like it's not cool being known for the fact that you used to be a drug addict. <laughs> it's not like it's not like oh, he's, he was a great footballer, or you know, he was a comedian, or like I was like, God, did you see how he was and skinny and dead and minging and like druggy and junky and all of that? And it's like that's what I'm kind of known for. Um, and there's positives and negatives to that, you know. There's there's good consequences, and you know, and. And as many, you know, that that had hundreds of thousands of people comment and stuff like that. And, and I would read it and there'd be 95% of it would be positive. Like, oh my God, you're, you're amazing. And that sounds great, but it wouldn't affect me. What I would look for was like, you're a dick or why are you not wearing socks? Like, why are you dressed like a woman? And like, why have you got long hair? Like, is that a bird? Or like, and I would like argue with these people. And I'd be like, and like, I remember um, one of the comments, it was like, oh, that dude's forgot his socks. It really pissed me off, right? So I, I commented back and I went, oh, sorry, I left them at your mum's. Can you? <laughs> and then like, it got to the point where um, I remember I was, it sounds really strange when I say this, but I, I was getting harassed by someone. Um, they were calling me literally day and night like on through Facebook. Um, and I, I tried to offer them help and support and, you know, advised them of all the free services in there. Like, I don't do like the fellowship. I've tried it and I realized that I didn't like, I, I didn't agree. Fundamentally, I don't agree with the concept of addiction being a disease. 
So for me, that I find that very difficult with that sort of being the core belief of most people I know in the fellowship. But like, there's plenty of good parts of the fellowship. You know, there's plenty of the principles, the spiritual principles and the steps that are fantastic. And I take I take what I want from it and I leave what I don't. And I think that for me is, is how I would summarize my recovery. I do what's good for me. As long as I don't drink and I don't, you know, don't do drugs and I, and I you know, set myself goals and I work my ass off to, to, to do that. I'm all right, you know, and, I, and I'm fine. And recovery is not amazing every single day. But um, I remember I was out on my motorbike and I nearly fell off it because I got a, a flat tire at the front. And this girl, I'd looked at my phone and she'd rang me something like 30 times in like the space of 10 minutes. And I just messaged her. And I shouldn't, I, you know, I shouldn't have done it. But this was after months of like phone call. And it wasn't that. It was like, you know, if I didn't answer, I'd get a message saying, if you don't answer, I'll kill myself. Like that's emotional, but like, that's wrong. And I don't care how mentally or fucked up you are, like to place that on someone else, that's not good. And and, and in the past, I've done that as well. And, and it's wrong. Um, and I said, look, like, fuck off. That's what I said to her. And, and I was wrong. But from my side of it, I just nearly died on my motorbike. I was stood at the side of the road, shaking, like lucky to be alive. And I, I got my phone out to phone um, the, 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 the pickup van. And... Um, I messaged her saying, look, just like, fuck off. So she screenshot it and then sent it to about 20 of her other friends that unfortunately all suffer with addiction. And they're very spiteful as well because they're still trapped in that stage, um, which is horrible. But what they did was they started sharing it on all of the videos or anything that I did. Um, and they would like, this is what Thomas is really like. I've asked him for help and look, but what they wouldn't show you was the 700 million missed calls. Like the text messages saying like, if you don't answer, I'm going to kill myself. It's going to be your fault. You know, she never showed that. She just showed the fact that she tried to ring me at one or two calls. And I said, look, fuck off. That was it. So you didn't get the full story. And I remember um, I had to have a crisis <laughs> um, with the execs from Lab Bible. And I, I've never really been, like I, I spoke earlier about never really being bullied by anybody apart from like my dad or stepdad and um I was a victim of online abuse and I didn't know how to deal with that and and it really annoyed me um because they were only telling a snippet of that story and people straight away jumped to that person's defense and they were like oh he's a dick he's this he's that um and they they, they gave me three sort of situations which was we can either block them which would be difficult because there's quite a few people that keep posting it. We can delete the comments, which is sort of hard to track, especially when they've got millions of people that engage with their like websites and socials like every second. Um, or we can just leave it because no one really knows the full story. And also if we delete it and we block them, it makes it look more like you've actually got something to hide. So just, be, you know, you've said your part. I know it's not nice. But, you know, we think you're mentally strong enough and, and tough enough to, you know, to, to get through this. So I, I sort of shared my side of it and it did eventually die down. But even even now, you know, I still get for all the millions of likes and views and people that are like, oh, he's great. He's amazing. He's this, he's that. There is still that sort of negative um, aspect to it. And I, and I guess when you when you are sort of put on a platform like that and like many other things that I've done, you do put yourself in a position where you are going to be exposed to bullying. And, and most of the people, the irony of it is that the people that are slagging me off are unfortunately all trapped in addiction. And I, and I get, it took me ages to realize that it stems from a place of jealousy. And it's like, you don't need to be jealous. Like there's nothing that I've done that you can't do. You just need to find the strength and courage to do it. And, and that's it. Once you've found it, do it. It's just like if people spent half as much time putting a sort of form or a plan of recovery into places they do moaning about it, like me included, you know, I'd have got cleaner and sober a long, long time ago. If I put half as much energy into sorting my life out as I did fucking it up, then, you know, I, I always used to think about that for, for a while. Like, I think like when you go through recovery and you, you reach a certain period of sobriety, you think, oh shit, like, I've really ruined my life. <laughs> like I'm clean and sober, but like you kind of imagine what if, like, oh, I'd have been 
richer, I'd have had more money, I'd have, which would, none of that will make me happier. But like, you kind of always think what would life have been like if you'd have got cleaner, like, and I think that's quite an addict thing. We always like that instant gratification, like, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's been weird. Um, and although I still get like, like I'm a public speaker as well, so I travel around the country doing talks and it's weird. Um, because I'd have never imagined this life, you know, I never went into rehab and thought, right, I'm going to go into rehab, I'm going to get clean and sober, which is the, the main objective. <laughs> I'm going to get my friend, family and friends back in my life. And then I'm going to become a public speaker. I'm also a student as well. And I work because I have another job as well. And I'm like, I've never imagined to be doing what I do now, ever, 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 ever would I have imagined doing what I do. And I never planned it. The only thing I planned was to sort my life out. And it's kind of funny how, how life works, you know, and it's, I'll always be in recovery. Um, and that, that's not an arrogant statement. And I, I don't mean that like to be cocky, but like I've understood why I turned to drugs. And for me, it's very easy to like, I could have, you know, I'm, I'm doing this interview with you now. I could have went out and scored drugs. It should have been very easy, especially in Glasgow, which is the drug capital of Europe. You know, I, I work with people that are on drugs all the time and it, it, it never it never looks tempting anymore. And even like I never I never really drank. And some people say to me, oh, but you weren't an alcoholic. You know, can you go out and drink? And I was like, well, I don't mean I'm going to use some language, but like I was never a crackhead. I'm not going to go out and try crack. <laughs> I'm like, well, I never had a crack problem. So every Friday till Saturday, I'm going to do crack. <laughs> You know, and they're like, no, but crack's bad. And I'm like, well, fucking alcohol's just as like, I'm like, you don't understand it, but that's fine. You know, that's fine. Um, but like, I'll never use, again, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing and as long as I keep learning, I keep growing and I keep, you know, setting myself challenges and overcoming them. And even the challenges that, that eventually are going to spring up that I probably will really struggle with. You know, like if a family member died, I have, I've got no idea what I would do in that instance. But I know that regardless of that situation, the worst thing that I could do is use. And I would I would much rather have to deal with that being in recovery than deal with that being a drug addict because I, it, I'd, I'd be joining them very quickly if, if that was the case. And I never worry now about my life in the respect of like relapsing or using, I'm always conscious of the fact that it could happen. You know, I'm, I'm not susceptible to relapse, but I know that as long as like I'm at university and I'm studying community uh, education, um, which is basically learning how to build the capacity for communities so they can, you know, they can grow and they can better themselves. Um, again, it's not about empowering people. It's about, building the capacity for people can actually take power for themselves and learn about themselves and grow for themselves and, and do all of that. But that starts with them. Every journey starts with you um, and for you. And it's like, I, I, everyone, I know a lot of people that like their entire life is based around recovery and, and that might be bad, but all good. But from my experience, most people that live their lives like that, it generally isn't good. Um, you know, my life, doesn't revolve around recovery my recovery evolves around life so in life I know that you know regardless whether or not I want to work I know that I have to work but as long as I can find a job and a career that I'm passionate about then it might not feel so much as work and as long as I can take you know if I can take value from that and learn and grow as well as a person then it, it's easier you know like life isn't all about going to 300 meetings a week and you know and learning from the big book and you know, I'm not saying that's bad for people that do it, but the people that I know, generally speaking, when they've done that, that, that isn't well. You know, I think sometimes people switch their obsessions. And for me, you know, education is important, career. Um, you know, I'm quite ambitious and driven. And I've got loads of goals as well. You know, one of the the things that I want to do um, that I am I am going to do, which I kind of stopped talking about this for a little while, um, especially during lockdown. But once I've got my degree, um, so I've actually skipped a year, so I've gone straight into the second year. So I've only got three years effectively to get my honours, get my degree and get my honours. But then I'm going to do another year and get my master's. Um, but then once I've done that, uh, people normally like go to Bali and like find themselves or like travel the world for a little bit and take a bit of time out. So while normal people do that, I am um, then going to uh, 
properly. I'm already sort of starting training for it, but then I'm going to um, go and climb Mount Everest. Um, and the reason why I'm going to do it is because to me, it epitomizes recovery. Because when you're an addict and, you know, ultimately you're still a human being, but when you're trapped in addiction, when someone says, oh, you can get clean, you know, I said earlier, oh, it's easy getting clean and sober, but it's easy when you're locked up in a, <laughs> in a building with loads of help, right? But like when I was that in that position, when I was trapped in addiction, I used to see people in recovery and, and happy and trying to live a, a better life. I used to think... Oh, like I, I imagine like that was me stood at the bottom of this fucking mountain and be like, oh, I can't ever, I'll never get to the top of that. Like, I will never be able to reach the peak and, and all of the challenges and everything else. Like, and to me, climbing Everest is exactly like recovery because when I told people I was going to go to rehab and get clean and sober, people laughed, you know, people took bets even and said like, oh, fuck, he'll be out in a week. He'll, he'll die. He'll never do it. He'll not even go. Um, and I proved all those people wrong. Now I never got clean and sober to prove anybody wrong. I did it for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't do it because my mom called me a junkie or a druggie. I did it, although that played a part in it. I did it because I wanted to live a better life. And I was sick to death of being in that disgusting place. Um, you know, but just like my recovery, you know, for me to climb Everest, I'm going to need help and support from other people. I'm going to need guidance. I'm going to face challenges that I've never faced before. And, you know, just like in recovery, there's a, a chance I could die, you know. Um, and I think, I'm not going to lie, there has to be an element of ego to climb out Everest. Um, from all the people that I've met that have climbed out Everest, you have to have a very strong belief that you can do it. But the reason, the real reason I want to do it is because some I want that story to, to be shared to people. And I want someone anywhere in the world who needs to see that story to see it and go, fuck, if that little six stone kethead <laughs> from Scotland can like literally turn his life around, get clean and sober, go to uni, get a degree, get a master's degree, then go and climb Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world, and do it for people like me. And also stay clean and sober throughout the entire process. Like, I ain't got any excuse. Like if he can, and I'm not saying every person that gets cleared up have to go climb Mount Everest, right? Because they probably would. And if they did it, it'd make it feel a bit less special for me as well. I'd that's the hundredth person that's done Everest. But like, to me, it's like, you need to tell yourself that, you know, if you believe that you can do it, you'll do it. You know, and, and I've met like Conrad Anker, who's, I, I'm not sure if he's American or Canadian. Uh, but he's like one of the world's best mountain explorers ever. Um, like a god, like a climbing god. And like I became friends with him on my Instagram, which is really weird. Um, you know, and I've started to, you know, I walk, I hike quite a lot, I train. Um, I, I know I've got four years to, to get in, in shape that I need to be, but it's something that I'm going to do. And again, you know, I, I need help and support from other people. Um and again, just like my recovery, there's going to be people that are going to say, no, nah, he won't do that. He'll, he'll never do it. And, you know, those people said I'd never get clean and sober, but here I am talking to you a lot, you know, and it's, you can do absolutely anything you want. And that's, that's the whole reason why I want to do it because I want someone somewhere. And I know that someone somewhere will see it and be like, I haven't got any excuses. And I think when you're trapped in addiction, you're full of excuses. <laughs> You have a thousand excuses for every situation that occurs, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I just hope it inspires someone else to sort their life out. But ultimately, that person has to be you. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully I won't die. <laughs> um, and hopefully I'll come back and tell the tale and, and maybe, you know, inspire someone somewhere. Um, that's all I really want to try and do, you know. So um, I'll shut up. <laughs> so yeah oh tom you inspired us already man yeah that was <laughs> awesome yeah thank you very much you uh very very well spoken and oh, thank uh, you. came out and killed us <laughs> and uh we're so super thankful for you to joining us today and sharing your story and um fellas any questions i like honestly i had some written out and i'm pretty sure he covered all of them <laughs> Yeah, which uh, the one uh, the one thing is I I think I saw your 
that post was it on sober is cool or so yes i know him he's Canadian, okay you know so i saw that and i was like holy shit i gotta yeah. find this guy um because mm -hmm. i the story was awesome and then i went and watched the interview which was amazing so okay. uh yeah but yeah, I know um, I know the guy. Well, I, I talk to that guy every so often, and uh, like what he does, like what you guys do, you know, it's amazing to share people's experiences because everybody's story is different. You know, the next person you interview will probably have a completely different story. But I think fundamentally, I think the thing that will resonate between every sort of person that you talk to is the fact that ultimately, I think everybody who tries or gets into recovery is to build a better life to be happy with. And I think when you're a drug addict, you're not happy at all, clearly, which is why you're using drugs in the first place. But although our stories are going to be entirely different, I think fundamentally we all share quite a lot of very similar values and aspects of our life that we just want to be better people. Um, but yeah, no, that website, what they do as well, I know like, especially like, so I'm four years clean and sober in November. And it's weird because I know when I share it, like I have quite a few people that will message me and be like, oh, can we do like an article? And, and, it, and it, it always goes viral. And like, I get to meet people like you, you know, I wouldn't have met you a lot if it wasn't for that. And, yeah. you know, like one of, I know one of the questions was like your support network. You know, I used to think when I was a drug addict and, and I did, you know, I had thousands of friends and I, and I mean that I could go anywhere and I'd know someone. And I used to think I was popular and, and I had a great social network, but I didn't. I didn't at all. And now I, you know, I have nowhere near as many friends for obvious reasons. Um, but like, I, I have real people in my life that will tell me, you know, that if I'm being a dick or if I'm doing well, or, you know, there's people will support me. And, and sometimes it's not all about, it's not always about being positive. You know, I, I, I'm quite critical myself. And sometimes I need another person to, to give their critique about what I'm doing, you know, not to be pessimistic or to, to try and intimidate or bully me or you know to tell me off but sometimes I need to hear what's real and I think when you're an addict no one ever tells you what's real because all they care about is using drugs and I think now you know my social you know the network that I've got is is great you know I might not have a lot or like thousands of friends like I used to have but the friends that I've got are friends you know they're not they're not fake um and I might not always speak to them, but I know if they ever need me and I ever need them, you know, I'm, we're there for each other. And, and that's amazing. You know, I, I never, I never would have had that without recovery. You know, I wouldn't be alive today. And, and that, that picture or those three pictures, they were taken at the same time, just slightly different angles. And I mean, I look dead. <laughs> um, yeah, it's horrible. And you know, it's really weird. You know, when I see that picture, which sometimes I see it quite a lot, um, I still don't think I look that bad. <laughs> like, I look at it and go, mm, nah. at least I'd like a 26 pack or whatever. Yeah, I wasn't that, you know, I had zero percent body fat. And then someone else will look at it. And when I, when I do my talks, I share that image and I, and I don't speak. I show up and I go, this is what I used to look like. And I don't speak for a minute or two. And I'm like, people cry. And, and, and I'm like, why are you crying? And, and, it, and, and they're like, oh, my God, that must have been horrible. And then I look at it and I'm like, I didn't feel like it was that bad. Like, and, it, and, it sound, and it sounds really, it's a flipping statement to make, but I think when you're an addict and you're like that, you, you, you don't want to know how bad it is. So you just sort of focus on other things. And But, yeah, hopefully I'll never look like that again. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, laughed, I laughed earlier when you said... Uh everyone thinks addicts are assholes but or dicks but mm. uh, <laughs> you know a lot of sober people that are dicks yeah so, i don't know i found i've met like some of the nicest people ever in recovery and, yeah uh, yeah i've, I've uh, met some amazing people in recovery and then some not i don't know what it's like in canada but <clears throat> um i think sometimes because of my belief which is that I don't believe it's a disease and, I, and, I, and I'm quite I'm quite firm like that's not for negotiation like I, I'm quite like I talk about it quite a lot and I love to debate and, and, and understand what other people's perceptions are but for me I just I just don't buy into that um, and I think because of that I think that opens it up to sometimes quite a lot of negative sort of 
um, lash back, you know. And um, I think because of my, it's really strange. So like, I don't really speak at like recovery settings. So like, there's like a recovery festival gone off and some of my friends have spoken at it and stuff like that. And it's, it's not like, oh, like years ago, I used to be like, oh, why am I never asked to speak? <laughs> I'd be jealous and I would be jealous. I'm, you know, I could be jealous. Um, you know, and, and I'd be like, oh, fucking hell, I've just been on Lad Bible. I've got like 15 million views. <laughs> like, it, like 10 people last year's what <laughs> watched his last video. Why am I not there? And that's arrogant and very egotistical. And I'm aware of that. But initially, sometimes <laughs> that's what I think, you know, and whether it's good or bad, you know, but sometimes, you know, I can fall into that sort of mindset very easily as well. And, you know, but what I realized was is I, I talk at a lot of like I just spoke not so long ago and it was the biggest well-being festival in the country. And I spoke with nine other people, one of them uh, who's like a famous TV presenter called Gail Porter. Um, and if you Google her, it's really strange. So if, if you have like a girlfriend or a wife or a partner or anything, probably don't do it in front of them because although she was a famous TV presenter and still is, um, she went through alopecia, but like before she went through that process, she kind of got naked a lot. <laughs> so like... They blew up her naked body on Parliament at one point. Um, and she speaks about the fact that she she's famous for being a TV presenter, but she was naked a lot. And like I was on stage with her and like all these other amazing people. And I'm like, I don't speak, I speak to normal people. But like for me, I, I love that. You know, I speak a lot of schools, colleges, and universities as well, and and certain businesses. And and I love speaking to people that don't know what it's like to be a drug addict. Because it's those people that generally think of, well, all drug addicts are that person that's the picture that you've seen and wants to run around and stab you and steal all your money. And I'm like, well, there might be people that do that. <laughs> the majority of people in addiction aren't that person, you know. I mean, you know, there's there's careers out there that aren't based around addiction that, you know, people rob and steal all the time. And it's just like... Not everybody that's an addict is is a bad person. There's plenty of bad people that aren't addicts, you know, and ultimately, regardless of whatever, an addict is still a human being, you know, and they don't want to be a drug addict, despite, you know, it might appear not, you know, it might appear that they want that life, but no one wants to be an addict. But yeah, hopefully the more, you know, the more people speak about it, then the more we tackle the stigma. So hopefully it helps, you know, and that's... I think that's one thing that everybody wants to do in recovery is help another person because I think that's the best thing that you can do. Absolutely. And that's kind of the goal here, you know? So, Tom, uh, we got to wrap this bad boy up. Yeah. Uh, but, man, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you very much as yeah, well. It was it's awesome. It's a pleasure. And, uh, guys, if you or someone you know was struggling, please reach out and ask for help. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.